Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about dubious Portland crime rate data, the Portland Police Bureau's new independent monitor, and PGE hiking up their rates yet again. Joining me on this week's News Roundup are Portland Business Journal reporter Malia Spencer and our very own executive producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, November 10th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Welcome, everyone, to this week's News Roundup. Nice to have you back, Malia. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Claudia. For those new to the show, this is when we break down some of the biggest stories of the week. But before we get into it, I careen us off course by (laughs) asking our guests a super important question. And today's opening question is inspired by an episode that we aired earlier this week. John, you might remember it. We were talking about cocktails. Oh, yeah. And something that I noticed after we we recorded and we edited it and we put it out was that I didn't ask a very simple question, which was, what's your favorite cocktail? (laughs) We just like, I just went in real strong with the history of cocktails. And I never just asked like, when you go to a cocktail bar, like what, how do you, what cocktail do you order just to be like, all right, do they know what they're doing here? You know? And I'm, I'm really curious. So do you guys have your go-to? I'm very excited because I listened to this episode because I was like, Ooh, they're talking about cocktails. I want to see which <laughs> bars they talk about. And I was very pleased that I knew, uh, I think, all of them Ooh. and had been too many. Um, so that was exciting. I felt very in. Um, anyway, my favorite, it's kind of a new favorite in the last couple of years, is a Boulevardier. Ooh, mm. I love it. You can go in and be real fancy. Um, and it feels really good in the fall. Mm-hmm. So I like it. And it's basically a Negroni, except you sub in whiskey for gin. Mm. Uh, real quick, Malia, I just want you to know that the way I order that is a Mr. Belvedere. And if they know what I'm talking about, I'm like, okay, they're good here. <laughs> I love it. Because they're like, Mr. <laughs> I don't know what that is. And I'm like, you know, it's got like a bourbon and like, you know, a Campari. And they're like, oh. Yes, I know. I still can't say it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that one. Honestly, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but because I've only read it, but I was like, that's. Uh, John, are we saying it right? You are. I, John, I am I saying it right? I, uh, yes, it's both pronunciations are acceptable. Great. great. Um, for me, I'm going with, and this might be stealing a bit of your thunder because I know you like it too, Claudia, but I'd go for a Sazerac. Uh, nice. Rye whiskey drink, just like a little bit of sugar, a little bit of Peychaud's bitters, touch of absinthe. Um, it's delicious. It's pretty simple, but it's also really tricky to pull off correctly. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's also a good test of how skilled a bartender is if they're able to nail a really good Sazerac. Yeah. And it's because they can make it too sweet. They can make it too sweet. They can make it too strong. They make it make it too weak. It needs to have like the perfect balance to really hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, John, as you know, mine is usually the Sazerac, but I actually like vacillate between uh, a Boulevardier. I'm not like trying here, like to be like, (laughs) I'm so quirky. Like, I really can't say it. It's like Boulevardier. And then make it fancy. Yeah. Make it French. Boulevardier. (laughs) So like, I usually order either that or a Sazerac. And once I trust them, I'll like be like, I'll come back and maybe I'll order a Negroni. Because mm-hmm. I feel like a Negroni is also just super hard. Negroni, you can also screw up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, guys. Thanks. I actually, that was something I really did want to know. Um, and it's good to know, John. I didn't know we were Sazerac buddies. We sure are. Well, thanks so much, guys. On to the news of the week. Malia, what story have you been following? Um, we've been following at the Portland Business Journal um, just the challenges facing small businesses um, all around the city, particularly in downtown and kind of inner Southeast. Um, Mm -hmm. We've talked to lots of business owners about their challenges and kind of a common theme is uh, public safety issues. Because there was a letter, I think it was 25 small business owners from, I think, mostly downtown uh, sent to City Hall asking them for help, basically, and outlining some um, suggestions on things that they would like to see. And then the city responded and said, our door is always open. We'd love to talk to you, which is an interesting thing to hear because talking to all these small business owners, they say they hear that the city says the door is always open, but it's really hard to get through that door, apparently. Um, It's, I don't know, maybe there's a screen in the way or something. So my editor, Andy, kind of looked into the numbers and it was really interesting because there was sort of a disconnect between it, um, sort of the perceived safety issues downtown and what the data is showing, which is always interesting. I feel like there's always kind of national stories about how people think like, you know, crime rates are skyrocketing, but the FBI comes out with data that says, oh, no, actually, it's not. So there's just this interesting interplay of like what you see and what you experience versus what like the data plays out. So like he found a PPB uh, said that the total number of offenses counted for like the month of September 2023 was 12% lower than September 2022, which was just kind of surprising. Um, And then the 13-month period between September 2022 and September 2023, there was 10% fewer crime reports than in the same period. But if you also kind of dig a little bit more into that and what we hear from small business owners is that a lot of people aren't reporting things. Because mm, they st- they're just like, what's going to happen? What are they yeah, going to exactly. do? Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they've been conditioned to, you know, nobody's going to show up. Or if they show up, it's going to be hours later. I still have to clean all this up. And also, their insurance can drop them. That's another issue. Mm-hmm. Like, if you make a claim, your insurance can go up to where it's too expensive or they just drop you. So it's just this really hard position that people are in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting, perception versus reality on this question, because mm-hmm. there there's a, a general sentiment that the city is less safe than it was several years ago. But like, if the statistics don't bear, bear that out, I mean, my hunch is that just the amount of homelessness and the number of people that are in desperation that people Mm -hmm. see these things around them and like maybe feel less safe right and like at a certain point like perception versus reality if people feel less safe in a city if their day-to-day lives feel less secure than they used to like potentially that is still just as much of a problem as if the the crime was actually happening you know because nobody has an omniscient understanding of how much crime Mm -hmm. is or is not happening but like 
we don't need a study to recognize that right, just right. through conversations that we have in day-to-day -day life, that there is a general sense that things are less safe, whether that is connected to reality mm -hmm. or not. I mean, I mean, you walk down, you walk down the street and buildings are boarded up, you know, yeah. there's somebody screaming into the ether. Like, yeah, the, the other thing is um, you can tell a lot about you know, how a, a city feels, I guess, as John was saying by tourism and tourists because mm -hmm. they're the ones who tend to just hang out downtown because you know when mm -hmm. you're like you don't know portland you're just like you google portland they're gonna right. you're gonna find it's like the hotels downtown no one's like oh come to the east side you know mm -hmm. they're, they're not gonna like stay in st john's and so that to me is like also a barometer is like what are they saying i mean i'm not i'm not a business owner i'm not hanging out downtown day to day like I only know what I know in my neighborhood. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty safe. I'm feeling great, yeah. which is a very different reality. But the one thing I am curious, though, Malia, I don't know. You know, I read when I read this article, I wasn't sure if anything was going to be done about the possibility of these uh, untrue statistics that are coming out. You know, right. like, because Andy really pointed to something that's like, yeah, that makes all, that all that all makes sense. So, mm -hmm. you know, funding, resources, all of that usually is focused on, you know, on areas by these numbers. So if there right. aren't enough people reporting stuff, that's my concern. Right, right. Well, I mean, the thing I always hear from folks is that if you don't measure something, you can't fix it. So you have to have the numbers and you got to measure it and figure this out. So that kind of is an interesting piece of this is that, yeah, you have to make sure the data is at least pretty good um, yeah. to give you a directional sense of where things are headed. Um, but also like, again, though, I mean, you can just go stand in Pioneer Square and like, yeah. see what's happening. You know what I think we should do? Do you know how like in those uh, more corporate restaurants, they leave those like, how are we doing <laughs> questionnaires? Right. Um, <laughs> I feel like the city should send one of those to every tourist and just be like, how was it though? Like, city should contract with Applebee's to yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, do their survey work. Oh my God. Could you imagine the uproar if the city contracted with Applebee's? Like, people would be pissed. Oh my God. That's what I think should happen. I feel like those are the true stats. <laughs> Just the Karens. I want the Karens to tell us how Portland is. They want to talk to the manager. <laughs> The uh, there was another data point that got updated. Um, you know how there was that Toronto um, mobile phone. The University oh, yeah, of Toronto yeah, yeah, has yeah. been like measuring mobile phone use in different cities to like figure out where people are going, and they found like Portland was like way low, and it was kind of even that data. Looking at it was like it, there's definitely feels like there's more people downtown than this this data is showing. Well, it turned out they were only looking at like this very small sliver of downtown that like didn't include a bunch of the hotels, didn't yeah. include the art museum, like all the stuff that draws people. So mm, yeah. that data came out and it was a lot better uh, than it had been. So, you know, the, the thing about that, though, that study, there wasn't for me enough like, I was just like, none of this makes sense. Like, there's no control because they're just like, no, we're just going to keep changing yeah. the parameters. Well, I was like, well, did you get the parameter of of that big swath beforehand? Yeah. Because then, then we have a before and after. Right. Now it's just we have more. It's like we have completely different data that cannot be compared to what you had before. Right. And yeah. that is like, to me, it's just like that now we start. Now we have a data point and now we can yeah. start again. So that's why I was like, this isn't 
news. This is. I'm just glad <laughs> that they're including things that people are going to. Like, oh, of yeah. course, yeah. I think in that old one, like our office wasn't included in it because of where we are compared to, I think, Pioneer Square, and so it was just mm-hmm. a really weird swath of like the waterfront park, and it's like, well, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, one last little thing that I'll point out, there's a number of charts in this article, and there's one that has a line that is charting, citations are up and watered down. And there's one that is way, way, way down. And I was like, what is that? And unsurprisingly, since the pandemic, drug narcotics offenses down 243%. (laughs) So, which Mm -hmm. to me is a sign of like, the data depends on what you're measuring. Like, there's a lot less people getting arrested for drugs and narcotics offenses. Yeah, so therefore it's down. <laughs> but but yeah. that does not necessarily mean that there's less drug and narcotics offenses happening. Right. Well, I mean, it's because it's not as against the law as it used to be. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that just yeah. sort of made me chuckle when I saw that. I feel like this segment ends should just be like, data schmada. <laughs> I feel like if Andy wants to take that for his next article following up on this, take I it. I will let him know. Okay. I'm sure he'd be into it. Sweet, sweet. Well, John, what story were you looking at this week? Yeah, I'm looking at um, some reporting mostly by Abe Asher and Courtney Vaughn of the Portland Mercury. Courtney Vaughn works at the Portland Mercury. That is where she works. <laughs> the reason we're reiterating that is that Courtney Vaughn was on the show earlier this week. And for some reason, and I want you to know that there are checks and balances on the show, no matter what our listeners say when they write in and they don't like something we said, we do have fact checking. (laughs) And John wrote Courtney from the Portland Monthly, and it went through one, two, three. Me, I'm the final QC, did not. We were just like, yeah, Courtney works at at freaking Portland Monthly. We know she doesn't work at Portland Monthly. We know that. Sorry, Courtney. It's the PM names. It's okay. Anyways, uh, Eve and Courtney had some great reporting about uh, the change with the Portland Police Bureau on Wednesday. City Council voted in favor of hiring an independent monitor to oversee the Portland Police Bureau. And the reason this is a big deal is it's going to take some history going back like 10 years involving the federal government back in 2012. Um, The Federal Department of Justice launched a civil rights investigation into the Portland Police Department and just found a lot of really gnarly stuff that Portland police were doing. Um, excessive force against people who are mentally ill. Um, you know, also they were using stun guns way too much in 2012. Like just a lot of really nasty stuff. And they went into um, a settlement with the federal government to basically oversee what was going on at the Portland Police Bureau. And they needed to have a bunch of more clear-cut policies, you know, about things like deadly force, um, about things like diversity and hiring. So between 2014, for the next several years, there was a lot of stories about, like, the Portland Police Bureau not doing a great job. Um, A lot of police officers killing people, sometimes with mental illness. Uh, The city did come into full compliance in February of 2020, um, and everybody was like, yay, the Portland Police Bureau. <laughs> we remember ah, what happened sorry. over the next couple months after February of 2020. Uh, that's when the protests kicked in and the city was non-compliant with the Department of Justice once again. So this has been an ongoing saga for like a decade. But now they're saying that they are approving an independent monitor, which is sort of the step towards not having the 
federal Department of Justice being responsible for overseeing the Portland Police Department anymore. I just feel like I'm sure we've all heard this about personalities and who people really are. And you really know who someone is under stress. And so we know who the Portland police is. I know we can be like, they had a lot on their plate. But yeah, they had a lot on their plate. They could have handled it differently. <laughs> they could have yeah. They could have risen to the occasion. That's all. That's all I want to say about that point. What were you going to say, Malia? <laughs> um, I was just wondering, so an independent monitor, are there like people whose job is to go be an independent monitor of like police departments? Like it seems like a very specific thing. And I'm, I'm curious, like who... Who is that? Well, there is like a pretty involved process that's mm-hmm. going to happen over the next several months to figure out who this person is. Um, you know, they're asking for proposals. Then they're like having this whole feedback section where like a bunch of different organizations get to sort of give their feedback, you know, both like pro-police organizations. So this is going to be separate from like the, the because there's like over, there's like an oversight committee or something like that yeah yeah so this would be a separate thing from even that yeah yeah Uh i mean there's gonna be like public hearings there's gonna be like a town hall you know you know john all that i'll do it i'll do it you guys i'll do it just be the monitor yeah just email me city of portland and i'll do it okay so so we have breaking news here on (laughs) citycast portland the new independent monitor of the portland police Mm -hmm. bureau has been determined it is claudia meza (laughs) do you get into purrs do you get a pension out of this that's pretty sweet oh my god could you imagine if i actually get to dip into that speaking of money like it is not cheap to be constantly reporting back to the federal government you know the amount of infrastructure that the portland police bureau needs to sort of maintain this settlement with the department of justice like that's a lot of work i know oh yeah i mean just in the business side of things like if your company goes public and you have to start reporting to the sec that's a lot of money like it's a lot of infrastructure you got to put in it's yeah i just wanted to point out that so much money is getting poured into a department to make sure that they're doing their job correctly and i feel like we're not really talking about that yeah you know we're, we're just like yay finally some accountability that is separate from the city you know all these things and it's like yeah but can we just look at the bigger problem here the fact could you imagine you guys if like your boss had to like hire someone just to make sure that you were doing your job correctly mm-hmm. i just feel like that is an issue <laughs> at a certain point it's just like should you be here though yeah <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the the part that sticks out to, out to me is like, you know, it's not like you were on pro- probation for a couple months. Like this has been almost a decade yeah. of this oversight and this sort of arrangement being in place. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. Like I can be hopeful that this is a sign that there actually has been uh, improvements in the way that the Portland Police Bureau is conducting itself. You know, I mean, we did just see that they finally, after years and years and years of wrangling oh God, on it, uh, did a pilot for a body camera program, which is like standard in almost every police department but, across but the country. That's insane. Like, how long did it take for that? You know, but we're getting there, you know, and like they, the city says that they're going to hopefully fully implement body cameras within the next year or so. So, like, as, like, frustrated as I am and I think everybody is about, like, what's been going on and as, like, incomplete, like, you know, this doesn't mean that is now the Portland Peace Force. They are still the police. There are going to continue to be problems. Like, it's just inevitable. But I'm sort of, like, weakly able to take it as, like, a good sign that things are moving in the right direction, I hope. What do do you think, Malia? 
I don't know. I just keep always remembering <laughs> uh, my very first journalism job. I was a government, local government reporter, and I had an editor who'd been in the business for a long time, and it was like, always problems with the police department. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. That's true. <laughs> he was like, no matter the city, there's an issue. And I was like, okay. And it's basically been true everywhere I've lived. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. We're just going to have to be like, you know what? This whole thing that we this is built upon, perhaps we need to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, more news of the week. So my story this week comes from The Oregonian and was written by Christine DeLeon. Uh, here's the headline. PGE wins approval for largest rate increase in two decades. Can we go back to talking about cocktails? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Malia. This is just a downer episode. I'm sorry, police accountability. I was talking about crime rates. The crime I rate's mean... probably higher. We don't know. Who knows data? <laughs> and uh, now this. So monthly residential bills are expected to go up about 17.2% starting January 1st. and But citizen watchdog groups are saying that it could rise even further depending on these adjustments that they're uh, about to, that are about to happen uh, this month and in December. So they're just like, it might actually be over 20%. Wow. And, and no one knows yet because those rates are still being negotiated. All that's really been approved is like, yeah, we're going to go higher. Mm -hmm. And the forecasted rate increases for next year would mark the second year in a row that PGE has increased its rates, which I didn't know. Like electricity bills this year increased between 7 to 20% for some, some residents and businesses. Uh, and so I was like, okay, like who who's like blessing all this? And the governing body that gave PGE the thumbs up is the Oregon Public Utility Commission, which I didn't even know existed until yesterday. So my my whole take on this is I was reading this story and I was like, okay, rates are going up. That must be because of like all the like wildfire preparedness that is happening and like the costs associated with that. And then I get further into the story and sa it says, quote, the increases represent the general rate and power supply increases, but doesn't include other cost adjustments related to things like energy products battery storage, wildfire mitigation, and others. So it's like, well, then what, what does it, what, what does it include? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why? And so like my, my, my ultimate thesis is utilities are a mystery. <laughs> like, I have no idea how it works. And I'm so excited because I did the research, John. So oh. I'm going to tell you how this works. And you did your own research? Yes. Nobody knows except Claudia, <laughs> <laughs> the new uh, independent monitor of the Portland Police Bureau. Also going to independently monitor the Utilities now. Yeah, so. yeah, which I just learned about yesterday. So here's the thing, John, is all the stuff that you just said, you're like, and this and this, this is why watchdogs are saying, hey, guys, they're saying 17.2, but because of the batteries, because of the wildfire, because of all that, that hasn't been implemented yet. So you just basically, what I'm saying is like, yes, all those things. So the Oregon Public Utility Commission, it's the chief electric, gas, and telephone utility regulatory agency mm -hmm. of the... Oregon state government, and they set rates and establish rules of operation for the state's investor-owned utility companies. So this is like a governmental body, right? And so 
The PUC is saying that the reason uh, that costs are going higher uh, is because of safety and reliability investments, state clean energy goals, um, and basically just the just the rising cost of power. So that is the reason they're saying all this stuff is like happening. And I'm glad you're here because Malia, I don't understand a lot of business jargon. Like, what do safety and reliability investments have? anything to do with this. So the safety and reliability investment, okay, and this is my big caveat, I don't actually cover energy. I only know this tangentially through osmosis because I sit next to our energy reporter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I would take that to mean things like the, the grid is not very good and there's a lot of power lines that go through forests. And they have to deal with maintenance of power lines and all of those transmission things that go all over the place. And so safety and reliability improvements are probably the actual like hardware and the stuff that has to go out there. And it's the power lines and they need I would like those to be safe and reliable. So you're not you're not thinking stocks and bonds because I was like, I'm sorry, is your portfolio tanking? What does that have to do with me? No, You're, you're saying the investment is maintenance. Yes, they're investing in the infrastructure. Is my that's what I take that to mean, and that's mm. I mean they call it an investment because they have to pay money for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's gonna when they have to report all of their stuff. Um, gotcha. PGE is a publicly traded entity. You can buy stocks in PGE as yeah. is Pacific Core, and Pacific Core is sort of public because it is owned by Berkshire Hathaway. It's true. So what what Malia is saying is basically PGE is is not owned by the government. You know, they're their own thing. And back in 2019, the Federal Energy Information Administration actually reported that investor-owned utilities uh, like PGE are serving about 72% of the U.S. electricity customers. So the government then has to regulate to make sure that you know stuff like this. Remember Enron and rolling blackouts in California? I was just going to say. So a fun fact, precursor to a conspiracy theory uh, that I'm literally making up right now, is the last major increase in electric bills occurred in the early 2000s during the Western energy crisis. And that was sparked by an energy shortage due to market manipulation by firms like Enron, like Malia was just saying. So that was like the last huge rate hike, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's also because... They was they could disguise it through inflation as well. They're just like, well, you know, shit's costing a lot more. So, yeah, nah. I don't know. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, I mean, one good sign in the like within the black box of utility rates, the Utility Commission also approved lowering natural gas rates for yes. NW Natural customers. Um, so that's good, I guess. <laughs> well, Claudia, if you want to, there's also to add to your independent review things, mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. is a citizen oversight board for the utilities. I believe it's CUB is the um, acronym for it. Mm-hmm. Citizen Utility Board, maybe, is what it is. Uh, anyway, and they get to weigh in on all this stuff. So, Because I know our energy reporter talks to them. Um, so you can go beyond that if you wanted to really get into it. Yeah, you know, um, I want like a completely different board where we just say crazy things like, yeah, remember Enron, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's how we, that's how California ended up with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor. Ah, <laughs> there we go. But no, I wanted to touch up a little bit what John was saying. Like, yes, you know, a lot of people's gas bills nearly doubled 
uh, this year, and it was like a big deal. And it was forecasted that I was going to go even higher. But the Utility Commission did approve lowering natural gas rates for Northwest Natural, uh, which went into effect the beginning of this month. And the decrease was a result of lower costs of natural gas supply. So again, like whoever sets that. And also from customers overpaying bills last year. So in a sense, we are paying less, but we're also just evening out from how much we paid last year. Mm -hmm. Costs a lot to get that natural gas out of the ground. Yeah. Malia, I love that you're just like, you guys, it takes money. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, somebody's got to do it. Someone should volunteer. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, like if you could dive into this, I will plug another one of my colleagues, uh, Pete Danko, our energy reporter, digs into this stuff all the time. He's really into it. The more you get into it, the more you'll just be like, it's a miracle that I turn the switch on and the power comes on. You think I'll be more <laughs> grateful and less skeptical? Well, no, no, no. Just in that the system held together by, you know, yeah. duct taped and twine. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You're like, and it works. <laughs> Just another thing, though. So, you know, it's not just PGE that supplies power to this area. It's also Pacific Power. And just to update those customers, Pacific Power has also filed to change its rates with the PUC for next year. But that amount, whether it's going to be an increase or a decrease, uh, hasn't been released and the commission hasn't ruled on it yet. And PGE uh, did say they were going to work with customers to set up payment plans or extend payment due dates and help customers connect with like community resources. The company is also uh, expanding internally their income qualified bill discount program. So hopefully those who are really struggling with this increase will have the support they need. Um, But my final wrap up, you know, thought is like, when will this end, Malia? When will it end? I mean, it won't end. <laughs> we all get solar panels and big batteries in our backyard How and we just that? all make our own power. Yeah. I would love if all the power from like houses just came from gyms, like just bros running on a treadmill. Ooh, <laughs> we can connect up the utilities and Peloton. Exactly. And there we go. What is it? Moberry? Wasn't that the that the smoothie place where you get on the yes. bike and you power the, the blender? <laughs> I'm just saying we have so much wasted energy. The breath from podcast hosts. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know how many podcasts there are? Well, I can blow your mind. There's also, I mean, it's. I think it's OSU is doing research in wave energy and how to get energy out of the waves in the ocean. Mm. Mm. See, yeah. this is like this is the kind of thinking that you would get from me the new commission board for the energy. <laughs> that was my pitch. Vote for me. Let's talk about cocktails again. I'll just be yeah. sipping my Mr. Belvedere. Exactly. <laughs> just- we can harness the power of cocktails as a re- source of renewable energy. That's when we Oh my will. God, all the shaking. Oh, the shaking? <laughs> the shaking, the- there we go. It feels like a bar that is gonna open up in Portland is like, we power our whatever from the shakers, and that's the gimmick. I mean, it right? A shake-powered blender, yeah. Absolutely. It's just like this sadly, like, dimming neon sign on the, at the, you know, right. at the window. It's just like, open. It's just like, every time someone makes a cocktail, it just turns on just for, like, three seconds, and then it goes back down. And there will be a line around the block, and it will make all of the lists. I love it. Well, John, Malia, thank you so much for hanging with me today, going through some of the headlines of the week. I hope that 
Everyone has a wonderful weekend. I realize that I never bless people after this. I bless you, John and Malia, and I hope that you have amazing weekends. Hmm. Thank you for the blessing. Yes, you too. And everyone listening. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. Our executive producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fioioni, whose go-to cocktail is a whiskey sour. Our newsletter editors this week were Natalia Aldana, who prefers an extra dirty gin martini with extra olives, and Rachel Monahan, who's more of a tea drinker. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>